Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. And 45 years ago today, 56 men gathered in the Pennsylvania State House in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in order to approve the Declaration of Independence. They knew that by doing this, that they would be turning the small skirmishes that had been taking place in Massachusetts into an all-out war with the British Empire. They knew that by signing it, they were committing treason, and in essence, they would be signing their execution orders should they be captured by the crown. They signed anyway. But how could a group of farmers, merchants, and traders defeat the greatest empire in the world? How does that happen? Well, it did. On September 3rd, 1783, That day in France, representatives from King George III and representatives from the new United States of America gathered together and they signed the Treaty of Paris, ending the American War of Independence and recognizing the United States as a free, sovereign nation. So how, how does that happen? How do farmers defeat the world's greatest superpower? I suggest to you that it only happens by the sovereignty of God. Nations rise and nations fall. Empires rise and empires fall. God is sovereign. God is in control. God is in charge. And if tomorrow this great nation of America falls, we still have hope. Why? Because God is still in control. He is still on the throne. He is still in charge. This morning, I want to talk to you about the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God, which simply means this. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He holds kings and kingdoms and presidents. He holds your life. He holds mine. He holds nations. He holds empires. He holds it all in the palm of his hand. Daniel chapter 5 verse 21 says, The Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them anyone he wishes. This morning, we're going to continue our series on the book of Daniel. We are calling Unshakable When Culture and Conviction Collide. Throughout this series, we've been learning about what it means to live in exile. What it means to live in exile. You see, Daniel and his friends, they were taken from their home to a place far away, and they lived in exile. How many of you know that if you and I are followers and believers of Jesus, then this world is not our home? This world is not our home. That essentially we live in exile awaiting our true home. And so when you are a person living in exile, 
There are times when the culture of this world will clash and collide with the convictions of the kingdom of God, where you and I are true citizens of the kingdom of God. And there are times when the, the culture of this world will collide with those convictions. And so what do we do? Well, we've been learning from Daniel and from the book of Daniel what happens and what to do when culture and conviction collide. Daniel opens this way. Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles of the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Asphanaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. See, Daniel was part of this group. Daniel was part of this group that had been taken from his home and put in exile in the Babylonian empire. This morning, we're going to be zeroing in on Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5. So if you have your copy of God's Word or you can follow along in the app, which by the way, if, if you have uh, gotten that update on the app, the app notes have now been updated and so you could check that out. But um, you could follow along there or in your copy of God's Word. We're in Daniel chapter 5 and this is some 60 years, 60 plus years after Daniel had been taken captive in Daniel chapter 1. We're 60 plus years down the road. A lot of things have happened now. By this point, King Nebuchadnezzar, who Pastor Aaron had shared with us last week, at the end of his life, recognized the sovereignty of God. He has, has now died, and there's a new leader in Babylon, and Daniel is now an old man. Daniel is now an old man living in exile. He has been serving the Lord in a place that has rejected the Lord for more than 60 years at this point. He's been serving the Lord in this place, living in exile in a place that was not his home for over 60 years. And the new leader of the Babylonian Empire is a guy by the name of Belshazzar. And Daniel chapter 5 tells us that this guy, Belshazzar, he throws this grand party for a thousand of his closest friends, okay? They're all there, and they're drinking, and they're partying, and their wives, and concubines, and now... This is the disclaimer. I know this beginning part here of Daniel chapter 5, it's going to sound a little bit like a history lesson, and I love history, and I know other people aren't so much fond of history as I am, so, but, but, but I promise you we're going somewhere with this, okay? So if you track with me, if you could follow along with me here for a little bit, if you could hold on for a little bit, we're going somewhere with this, so just hold on. Here we go. Daniel chapter 5, verses 2 through 4 says this. It says, while Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the kings and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, 
And the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Remember in Daniel chapter 1, we just read that Nebuchadnezzar had taken artifacts from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and he brought them back to Babylon, and these are now the artifacts that 60 years later, Belshazzar says, remember that gold and that silver that we took from that place? Go get it out. We're having this party. We're going to drink wine, and, and all types of debauchery and wickedness assuredly is happening here at this party. But history tells us that this was no time for a party. See, while Belshazzar was partying, the empire of Babylon was falling. The coalition of the Medes and the Persians were invading. They were taking city after city after city along the way. And by this point, the time of the party, they are nearing in on the capital city of Babylon where this party is taking place. But as Pastor Aaron told us last week, the city of Babylon was heavily fortified. Thick, huge, massive walls. And Belshazzar thought, this city is unpenetrable. It's unbeatable. It's undefeatable. Nobody can get in here. We're just going to have a party. I know the enemy is outside the gates, but we're going to throw a party inside here. We're going to party. They can't beat us. What can they do to beat us? Well, God had already prophesied the fall of this great city. Jeremiah 51, 37 through 39 says, Babylon will be a heap of ruins, a haunt of jackals, an object of horror and scorn, a place where no one lives. Get this. This was decades before, decades before the events of Daniel chapter 5. God says, her people all roar like young lions. They growl like lion cubs. But while they are aroused, I will set out a feast for them and make them drunk so that they will shout with laughter, then sleep forever and not wake, declares the Lord. Decades before the party, God had ordained, God had decreed exactly what would take place. Why? Because God is sovereign. God is sovereign. All right, back to the party. Daniel chapter 5, verses 5 and 6 says, Suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his legs became weak, and his knees were knocking. So what did the king do? What did Belshazzar do? Well, he did what Nebuchadnezzar did. He called in the enchanters, and the astrologers, and the diviners, and he called them all in, even though they had failed Nebuchadnezzar over and over again by this point in Daniel. He calls them in, and he says, what is going on? What do those words mean that are on the wall? Tell me what this means. I don't understand. None of them could tell him. Of course, we've seen this before. This is like the third time now in the book of Daniel that this has happened. And so Belshazzar's mom remembers that there's a guy named Daniel that Nebuchadnezzar turned to in these situations, in these times. She says, hey, there's this guy named Daniel, and you need to get him. He, he has a special relationship with God. He's got a special connection with God, and he can tell you what this means. So they go and they get Daniel, and here's his response. He says, your majesty, the most high God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of his high position, he gave him all the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. 
Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was disposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven from his people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the most high God is sovereign over all the kingdoms of this earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself though you knew all this. Though you knew all this, though you saw all this happening, you have not humbled yourself. Instead, you set yourself up against the Lord of heaven, against the one who is sovereign. You set yourself up against him. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver, gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see, hear, or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life in all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription, and this is what the inscription that was written, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parson. Here is what those words mean, Mene. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Skip to verse 30, and it says that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. That very night. Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. This morning I've titled my message, The Writing is on the Wall. The writing is on the wall. Why? Because God is sovereign. And you could say before the writing was literally on the wall, the writing was on the wall. Because God had ordained the events that took place in Daniel chapter 5 hundreds of years before. In the mind of God, they had already happened. Why? Because God is sovereign and God is in control. The Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth. Believe in Daniel chapter 5, we can learn three things about the sovereignty of God. And the first is this, that God is victorious over the powers of this world. God is victorious over the powers of this world. God was not worried God was not distraught. God was not in fear, nor was he surprised or confused when Jerusalem was destroyed, when his temple was burned, when Daniel and the others were taken into captivity. Why? Because God had a plan from the very beginning. 2 Chronicles 36, 15 through 19 says this. It says, the Lord the God of their ancestors sent word to them through his messengers again and again because he had pity on his people and his dwelling place. But they mocked God's messengers, despised his words, scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. He brought up against them the king of the Babylonians who killed their young men with the sword in the sanctuary. They did not spare young men or young women, the elderly or the infirm. God gave them into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. He carried to Babylon all the articles of the temple of God, both large and small, the treasures of the Lord's temple, the treasures of the kings and his officials. They set fire to God's temple, broke down the walls of Jerusalem. They burned all the palaces and destroyed everything of value there. This is what Daniel and his friends witnessed when they were teenagers and carried off into exile. I know we like to think of it as like some like peaceful thing where like the army just comes and like, come with us. And they're like, okay, all right, I guess we'll come with you. And then they're taken off into exile. But that's not what happened. 
When Daniel was a teenager, he witnessed horrible events happening. People being killed in the streets, the walls being destroyed, the temple being burned, everything that he had known, everything that was familiar, stripped and taken away in a moment, in an instant. And he's questioning and he's asking, how can God be in control of this situation? Have you ever asked that question? When life goes awry, when things seem messed up, when everything is just not what you thought would happen, you had a plan, you thought it would go this way, you'd get married at this time, you'd graduate at this time, you'd have this much money in the bank at this time, you'd be able to retire at this time, your kids would be here, this, this, this. You ever had a plan and then it all go away in a moment? And you're thinking, God, where are you? How you, can you be in control of this situation? Listen, in your darkest moments, God is there. And he is still in charge and still in control. Corey Tem Boom, Holocaust survivor, says this. She said, there is no pit that his love is not deeper still. There is no pit that his love is not deeper still. You see, even when that horrible thing was happening, when Jerusalem was destroyed, God had ordained a plan of restoration for his people. Jeremiah 29, 10, and 11 says this. It says, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you. Not you will come. I will come. I love that. I will come to you. And fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. God spoke these words through the prophet Jeremiah decades before the events of Daniel chapter 5. Decades before it happened, through Jeremiah, he gave an exact time frame. He said 70 years. Mark my words. God says 70 years. And this exile will come to an end. Through Jeremiah, God gave an exact time frame. Through the prophet Isaiah, God gave an exact person. This is, a hundred, I need you to get this. This is 150 years before Daniel chapter 5. Isaiah 44, 28. God says, who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and will accomplish all that I please. He will say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt in the temple let its foundations be laid. 150 years before the events of Daniel chapter 5 take place. Here's what happens in Daniel chapter 5. The historian Herodotus, who's sometimes called the, modern, or the, the father of modern history writing, he writes of this party that Belshazzar's throwing. He writes the same story of Daniel chapter 5, and he writes that there's this guy by the name of Cyrus that Isaiah had mentioned 150 years before this. This guy by the name of Cyrus is the king of Persia. And he leads his armies against Babylon. And Babylon's walls are huge and thick. And so what his, his armies do is he commands that they reroute the Euphrates River. The mighty Euphrates, it ran right through the city of Babylon underneath the walls. They reroute the mighty river and his army the very night that the writing was on the wall, the very night of the party, his army is able to slip underneath the walls and take and capture the city just as God had ordained it, just as God said would happen. Second Chronicles 36, 22, and 23. This is what Cyrus did the first year that he took power and control. 
The first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of God spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout the realm and also to put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of earth and has appointed me to build a temple for him in Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you may go up and may the Lord their God be with them. Exactly 70 years after Daniel was carried off into exile, just like the prophet Jeremiah said, a guy named Cyrus, who was mentioned by Isaiah 150 years before, releases the people and not only releases them from their exile, but commissions them to rebuild that which was destroyed. You can't tell me that this isn't the word of God. You can't tell me that God isn't in control of the events of men, that nations rise and nations fall, but God is in charge of it all. You can't tell me that he doesn't hold the whole world in his hands. The writing is on the wall, church. He's in charge. He's in control. ...over the powers of this earth. He's victorious. Today we celebrate July 4th. Don't get me wrong. I'm the most, I'm, as, I'm just going to say, I'm as patriotic as anybody else. I got my red, white, and blue on this morning. I'm happy about that. I know that there was doubt and confusion and strife and turmoil over the 2020 election. But I also know this. God wasn't confused about it. It didn't catch him by surprise. God was not confused about it. He holds it in the palm of his hand. Nations rise and nations fall. The writing's on the wall. There will come a day when there will be no more nations. The writing's on the wall. There will come a day when kings and leaders and presidents and authorities and powers bend their knee and bow before the king of kings and before the Lord of lords. And when that happens, church, Jesus will set up his kingdom that will never end. America will come to an end. The kingdom of God never will. That's why my hope isn't in an oval office, a political party, or a politician. My hope is in the sovereign king of kings and lord of lords, alpha and omega, king Jesus. My hope is in him. He is in control of the powers of this world. He is victorious. The writing is on the wall. The second thing that we can learn about God's sovereignty is that he's victorious over the principalities of this world. He is victorious over the principalities of this world. The Bible calls Satan the prince of this air, making this world his principality, but God is sovereign even over Satan. God is sovereign over Satan. Throughout scripture, Babylon is used as a type of worldliness. 600 years after, 600 years after Daniel chapter 5 and the fall of Babylon, John the Revelator writes this, Revelation 18, 1 through 3. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. With a mighty voice, he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every impure spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable animal. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her. The merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. We know that the book of Revelation is apocalyptic in nature. John is seeing a vision of things to come, not things that have been. 
So why is it in this vision of things to come is he seeing an event that took place 600 years ago with the fall of Babylon? Because he's not talking about the physical fall of the empire of Babylon. He's talking about the spiritual Babylon, which is Satan's kingdom and domain. Mark my words, there is coming an end. The writing is on the wall for Satan and his principalities and his demons. You don't have to fear him. He is a defeated enemy and a beaten adversary, church. A defeated enemy and a beaten adversary. When Jesus said, it is finished, he knew it was finished. It was over. When Satan tries to remind you of your past, you remind him of his future. You remind him of his future. And listen, culture likes to say that Satan is like the king of hell, like he's in hell, like he's ruling there. He's terrified of hell. He's terrified of it. He knows that's where his end is. He knows that's where he's going. And he's going to spend eternity in torment in the lake of fire. Why? Because God is sovereign. God is in control. Not him. Not him. The writing is on the wall. His writing is on the wall. His end is coming. 1 John 5.19 says, We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. For a time, God has given Satan some power and authority here on this earth. But God is still sovereign over him even now. God is still sovereign over him. In the book of Job's, before Satan can do anything to Job, he has to ask permission to God, the God of heaven. Why? Because God is sovereign. He is victorious over the principalities of this world. Church, there are two sides in this spiritual conflict. There are two sides, Satan's side and God's side. And I know, we like to, we like to say, well, I, I don't worship Satan, I, but I don't worship God either. I'm just kind of on my own side. Like, I'm making my own side. I'm like Switzerland. I'm like always neutral. Like, I'm, out, I'm, I'm neutral. I'm on my own side, right? It doesn't work that way. Did you know that one of the te- tenets of Satanism is my will be done? My will be done, the exact opposite of what Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was on his way to the cross, when he said, Father, if there's any way that this cup could pass, but Jesus knew he was the only way. And that's why he said, not my will be done, thy will be done. Church, don't fall into that trap and that lie. Satan doesn't need to get you to worship him. He just needs to get you to worship yourself. He's pretty good at doing that. We don't want to worship Jesus. We want to worship us. We think that we've made our our own side, but we found ourselves on the wrong side. It's the losing side. It's the losing side. Jesus knew that the only way to pay for your sins and mine, what's a sin? Sin is any action or attitude that's contrary to the will and word of God. The Bible says that all of us have sinned except for one. Jesus Christ, who was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. The Bible says that we've all done it, we've all sinned, except Jesus. The Bible also says that the wages or the results of that sin is death. But Jesus took my place, and he paid my price. He took your place, and he paid your price too. And the, the, the cost was his own blood. And he died in your place. And you can be victorious too, just like he is if you surrender to him. Isn't that just so countercultural? that in order to be victorious, you must surrender? But that's how it works, church. That's how it works. All right, 
I know that the sovereignty of God is really like a cerebral thing, so I want to bring it down on a real practical note here. I want to close out on a real practical note. Point number three is this. Third thing that we can learn from God's sovereignty is this, that God is victorious over the problems of this world, over the problems of this world. You see, because God is sovereign, it means he's victorious. Because he could ordain something and say 70 years, this is going to come and end. He could name Cyrus 150 years before the events took place. Because he can do that, the big things, he can handle your problems too. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world because God is victorious over the problems of this world. He is victorious over the problems. He's victorious over the issues. When the situation seems hopeless, God is still on the throne. When your marriage doesn't look like it's going to make it, God is still on the throne. When there's more month left than there is check, God is still on the throne. When your child doesn't want to speak to you, God is still on the throne. When the doctor gives you a bad report, God is still on the throne. Though weeping may last for a night, joy comes in the morning. The writing is on the wall for the problems that you face, for the difficulties that you face, for the struggles that you fight. The writing's on the wall. Its end is coming. I promise you, it's coming. There is coming a day when Jesus comes back and the heavens are split open and he will return and the problems of this world will be wiped away. That's why the Apostle Paul said in Romans 8, 18, I consider that our present suffering is not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. If you know it, would you sing it with me? When I look upon his face, the one who saves me by his grace. And he takes me by the hand and leads me to the promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be. There'll be no sorrow there, no more burdens to bear, no more sickness, no more pain, no more parting over there. And forever I will be with the one who died for me. What a day, glorious day that will be. It's coming a day, church. And it's coming soon. When Jesus comes. And the powers and the principalities and the problems of this world are washed and wiped away. I'm gonna invite the worship team, if they would, to join me on the platform so that you can stop hearing me sing, hear somebody else who could sing. God is victorious, church. God is sovereign over the issues that we face. I just want to end with this. A few weeks ago, we were in Daniel chapter 2. In Daniel chapter 2, we learned about a dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had that Daniel interpreted. The dream he had was this mighty statue with a head of gold and chest and arms of silver, a belly of bronze, and legs and thighs of, of iron and feet of iron mixed in clay. 
What Daniel chapter 5 is, Daniel chapter 5 is the record of the transition from that head of gold to that chest and arms of silver. The head of gold is representative of the Babylonian Empire, and the chest and the arms of silver represents the coalition of the empire of the Medes and the Persians. History tells us that the next empire was the Greeks, that's the bronze, and the next was the Romans, that's the iron of the legs. Now, everything in the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had had been fulfilled, just as God said it would. Why? Because God is sovereign, because the writing's on the wall. All of it has been fulfilled except for one thing. See, at the end of his dream, there was a stone. And that stone came from heaven and it crushed the statue. And then in his dream, that stone became a mountain. A mountain. Daniel chapter 2, verses 34 and 35 says, While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay, smashed them, and then the iron and the clay and the bronze and the silver and gold were all broken into pieces. It became like chaff on the threshing floor in summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. The problems of this world are going to be swept away without a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. Church, that day is coming. When Jesus, the stone the builders rejected, who is the cornerstone, the stone not cut by human hands, will come and smash the powers and the principalities and the problems of this world. Revelation 19, 11 through 16 says this, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has the name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh are written the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus is soon coming. He is soon coming. Are you on his side? Are you on his side? Legend has it that During the Civil War, President Lincoln was asked a question. He was asked, how do we know that, that this is God's side, that, we're, that God is on our side? And his response was, it's not if God is on our side or not, it's whether we're on his side. Church, are you on his side? His side is the victorious side. Is your house covered? Is your home covered? Is your heart covered by that blood? If you would, would you stand up with me this morning? If you're in the room or you're watching online and you'd say, Pastor, I'm not sure if my heart is covered by the blood of Jesus like you're talking about. I'm not sure that I'm on the right side. I think I've been living for myself. I think I've been worshiping me. I think I've been more worried about what's in my bank account. I think I've been more worried about the car that I drive and the shoes that I wear than what's going on in my heart and in my soul. And I've been trying to ignore it and trying to fill the holes with all these other things. But I found out that it has left me empty and meaningless. 
and I need the hope of Jesus this morning, if that would be you, would you just put your hand right up and put it back down? I want to pray over you. Okay, then here's what we're going to do. I'm not seeing anybody's hand, so here's what we're going to do. I know that there are problems and that there are difficulties that each one of us are facing in this room. We're going to go to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We're going to beseech him that he would move on our behalf because he is sovereign and he is in control. And so in just a few minutes, just a few moments, really, I'm going to invite our prayer team to come forward and the worship team is going to lead us in a song. And as they do, would you just come? If you're dealing with something and, man, you just, the weight has just been unbearable on your shoulders and you just feel like you can't even go another day. Let us pray with you. What else do you have to lose? What do you got to lose? Let's trust the Lord. See what he can do. I'm gonna pray and then the worship team is gonna lead us and then would you come? Would you come? Dear Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that you are sovereign over the powers, over the principalities, over the problems of this world, that one day they will be swept all away. That every tear will be dried. That we will receive complete and total healing. Because you are sovereign. And we put our hope and our trust in you today and in nothing else. Lord, I pray for those who are hurting in our congregation those who are here in this room who are hurting, who are struggling, give them your hope, give them your peace, give them your joy. Give them your strength to keep going, to keep pushing, to keep believing, and to keep leaning on those everlasting arms. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Church, won't you come and receive prayer this morning? Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.